0: Hey, this is Art, and this is my final episode of the Iditarod Diary. I promise it's the last episode because the Iditarod 51 race is over. Finite, kaput. In the books, as they say. I do have to give a shout-out to my friends at MCOM, m-c-c-o-m t-v. This company, who I buy all sorts of camera gear from, and tripods and batteries, and they're, they're just a great resource for used gear. They uh, they came through for me. I I mentioned on one of the earlier episodes that I lost the use of one of my robos, my PTZ, the Panasonic HE130 that I had. It uh, turned it, it must have fallen over in uh, Nome last year, and someone put it up right, and then no one said anything, and we didn't really notice that it had problems, but the lens was all busted, apparently, internally, and the case was cracked, and it wasn't working right when we did our testing in February. I didn't really have the budget to just replace it. Obviously, I needed to do something about it, and my friends at MCOM came up and uh, loaned me a unit which was awesome and really appreciated. Scott and Carrie and all the great people over at MCOM. Can't say enough. So. so just wanted to give a special shout out to them. Thank you. The last hurdle for me on this year's race was the Finisher's Banquet. The Finisher's Banquet is usually held the following Sunday from the champion crossing the line. It usually gives the rest of the pack enough time to get in and, and uh, attend the banquet. There have been some occasions, I think, in history where the last team to finish what they call the Red Lantern winner, that team has not finished in time at a banquet, and sometimes they have held the banquet for a few extra days until that person has the ability to finish. But from a tactical standpoint, it's just the last piece, And you have to basically wait around after you've been on this job for three weeks. You have to hang around for this last banquet. This event actually was never even live streamed. It was just something that happened in Nome, Alaska, and the fans would have to just read about it, or maybe there would be sometimes some footage recorded, but it was never live streamed. I only started live streaming this event about five years ago, I think, and it's it's tricky, you know, to do it right, it requires a big setup. We've done it with a a single camera in the early days, from the back of the room, but there's really nowhere in the back of the room to put a camera that's not in the way that's not getting moved around. The internet connection there has always been troublesome. So it's not an easy event to live stream. And, And last year, we did it with three or four robotic cameras I mean it was more of a production but it required two people on site and even then resources were thin. So in planning for this year's event knowing that there would be really no technical people on site to produce the banquet show I needed to come up with a very simple way to produce the show completely remotely with no technical assistance. Typically, you know, we would take a board feed from the house uh, audio system. We'd run it through a splitter. Sometimes we've used Dante boxes just to keep the gear in the live streaming area, which is behind the stage. But it's involved, especially for a non-technical person trying to explain how all of this is going to get set up. So as I was thinking about how to do it, I had been experimenting with these Insta360 cameras, specifically the the Link camera. And what the Link is, it's a tiny robotic camera. It actually has motorized pan-tilt-zoom controls over USB-C. Picture quality, very impressive. It has a half-inch sensor, but it's very, very good in low light. And it has a nice lens, and it works really, really well. You can control it with software, program presets, and it seemed like it would be a good solution. Even in my testing, the built-in microphone worked really well. So my thought was if I could put an uh, Insta360 Link camera very close to the podium where the speakers will be, where the presenters will be, that would be an easy way to get a good visual shot, no bouncing, no shaking from the back of the room. and then I'd also be able to capture close proximity audio. at least that was my plan. And then I figured out that I could really put together a little kit with a Mac mini with uh, remote access to it from from my studio and then I could hook up two, of these Insta360 link cameras and I'd have basically a multi-camera show. I could stream both feeds back to me in New York and I could switch and produce the show from here just with using a uh, VNC connection. So the nice part about this whole kit is that it fit into a Pelican 1610 with a stand, uh, a double camera mount, the Mac mini and the cables needed to to run it. So. It sort of checked all the boxes for simple to deploy. All they had to really do was plug in the computer, connect the internet, and then um plug the two cameras in with USB C cables, and it was ready to go. And so that was the plan. There was really no backup. And unfortunately that's just it, as I've said before, that's just the way it is with I did rod. There is no budget or means for you know plan b unless it's you know coming out of something else I'm donating to the race so in the franticness of everything that is Iditarod the person tasked with this job was the uh, Iditarod chief operating officer a nice gentleman by the name of Chaz and uh, Chaz was tasked with Setting up this kit and making sure that um, it's connected to the internet, and I basically do the rest from here. The setup was really easy, you know, no real issues. Just you know, the timing and the, and the connection. The internet connection was a bit wonky, but luckily, we were able to take the cable modem that we used for the live streaming of the finish and move it over to the GNOME uh, Community Center where the banquet's being held. And at least I had a faster connection. My plan was originally to use uh, WebRTC to send the streams from my local Mimo Live in Nome to my remote Mimo Live in New York, and then I would just switch the show here that way. I didn't realize that WebRTC has a limitation on resolution and bitrate, so I. I couldn't really do it that way, even though that way did work. It just wasn't the um, the quality that I was hoping for. Now, the Insta360 Link cameras are 4K. And being that I had a 75 megabit upload, I said, hey, maybe I can send um, 4K over RTMP streams. And um, no, you, you can't do that. That just absolutely buckled. And I'm not sure w- what part of the system it buckled, but it just didn't work. I didn't have enough time to really troubleshoot why I would be limited in terms of resolution, but it it choked the system. And this is an M2 Mac mini. This is one of the brand new ones and it just you know, it didn't work uh, at all as far as sending 4K. So I planned to send 1080 from GNOME in two separate RTMP streams. I used my Wowza instance to act as the relay. The delay wasn't really going to be an issue because there was nothing else being timed from there except GNOME. It's funny because even though I had enough bandwidth, there was a significant amount of buffering um, when I was trying to send four or five megabits on each stream and again, not sure where the bottleneck is if that's something between gnome and waza or what, but I had a I had no success in the buffering until I dropped the bitrate down to 1.5 megabits per. It still looked good, but I was you know thinking I needed a more robust, Picture, but in hindsight, I probably should have just let it run at 1.5 megabits. The devil in the details for this whole thing was the blocking and making sure the people stood promptly at the podium so that we had the proximity audio. And what I didn't realize is that there are no controls in the Insta360 Link app. To adjust sound, it's just whatever it is. And it seems like it's a dual mic system and it must have some processing for echo cancellation or, or some kind of noise filtering mechanism built into the camera. There's very little documentation on that at all, unfortunately. The reality was that there was a handheld wireless mic put into a clip a gooseneck clamp on the podium. And many people actually picked the microphone up out of the gooseneck and then stood back and spoke, which caused the audio quality to be not so good. And even though the show looked good, it was well produced, we had graphics and lower thirds and lots of things that were making the show look great. The audio wasn't as good as it should be. And I get it. Like, I understand the risk. But in reality, there wasn't much option. I, I did think after the event that perhaps I could have used a little maybe USB microphone But again, the whole thing with people not standing at the podium would have been a problem. I don't know how to resolve this without putting a person there who could set up more gear and be responsible for handling the technical part. That's really the only way I could think of to combat this. While for the most part, it was a success, the audio part was noticed and commented on by the the fans and of course the whole thing is to keep the fans engaged and and on that part it wasn't it wasn't good and of course there were lots of little things like the run of show the order of the awards wasn't uh, given to me correctly so awards were presented at a sequence at one point point. and of course I didn't I didn't have enough camera angles I didn't have enough diversity. I had basically a 12-inch double-headed mount that sat on an Atlas stand, and my cameras were basically 12 inches apart. One could get sort of the walk up to the stage, and I could also get the audience, and the other camera was dedicated to the podium. But, you know, in reality, I was very limited into what I could do, and if anyone didn't hit their marks which they didn't, unfortunately, on many occasions, they weren't always in the picture properly. So as a technology experiment, I think it worked very well. Was it a perfect, flawless production? No, like I said, the audio was really the part that, you know, it almost worked, but in the end of the day, it was not the right thing. So it'll be improved, it'll be better, but I think as as I said, as a technology example, this whole show was produced by me, and it had the look of a bigger production, and it fit the bill of not having to keep people um, around at a, an expense to the to the Iditarod. So we'll see what happens next year. If they find more money, maybe we could have, you know, a technical person on site to manage the audio and the setup, but no promises to anyone that that will happen. I hope you enjoyed this I Did a Rod diary, a little journey through my process and my struggles. And it's always a struggle. And the million dollar question, which I'm not prepared to answer, is this Would I do it again next year this way? And I, I don't know. I am mixed about it. it. It was great from the standpoint of not having, uh, not having to be stuck in bad hotels in Alaska to do this cuz that's very depressing. So from that standpoint this was a win. It was also very hard to be uh 24 hours a day on. My sleep was broken and and you know that part wasn't wasn't workable. I I couldn't really do that again. We did have something happen this year that might be an indicator going forward of an easier way to produce this in the future. When we got to the finish and I had to stream the uh, the trail feeds, but I also needed to test my feeds from GNOME for the live show, we wound up going directly to the website with the, the trail cameras um, through the Intenor encoders, and we put three tabs in the video player for the three checkpoints that were streaming live at that point. So if the trail cameras could stream to their own, you know, player on the website and let the viewers choose what they wanted to see, it would eliminate the need for the, uh, you know, the feed to be curated, so to speak, by me or someone that the cameras could just stream. The part that would maybe have to take a little work is how we'd handle the live hits. I did do something this year that was, I think pretty cool where I used my, my Memo live software has this ability to remote, um, to have a web-based remote control panel and you can control all the layers, all the components of your show from a web interface. And I set up a port forward for that interface, um, to my IP address, my outside IP, which means I could get to my machine from anywhere over a web browser, which means I could in theory switch the show from anywhere. So I was thinking maybe I could design a little surface, a remote interface that would work on a phone that when the camera operator knew that the, um, the talent wanted to go live, they could initiate a uh, stream target for that channel. It would go live. It would maybe, you know, trigger something to notify people and they could stop it when they were done. And that could all be done with a phone just on Wi-Fi connected into my machine via remote interface. So that would take a lot of labor out of doing the I did a rod live coverage and it would probably save money because you wouldn't have to pay for my time, um, for 24 hours a day. It would really almost be unsupervised. So maybe for next year with a system that was better designed, maybe if there were some more resources for humans to assist. So the best I could say is maybe. So that's it for my Iditarod daily diary. This week in production's content will resume soon with new regular content. Thanks for listening.